working class people, especially those of color, along with the elderly and people with disabilities, try to hold on to their neighborhoods, their homes, and their lives as the land values and housing prices increase and it becomes less affordable for these long-term residents. Hi, welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. Come on in. We're seeing a lot of gentrification here in the Philadelphia area, aren't we, Julie? Definitely. I'll go to a part of the city after not being there for a while, and it'll look completely different. It's disorienting. Let's talk about it. Let's do. Gentrification is typically defined as when people with more means move into lower income neighborhoods. When this happens, rents increase and stores, businesses, and restaurants move in to cater to the new people living there. The character of the community changes over time, usually from a minority race or ethnic group to white people with more money. Right. Gentrification may start out with a few people who can't quite afford housing in other areas or Maybe they want to be closer to their job or they prefer to be closer to certain city resources. But then often it becomes a profit-driven situation, which changes the culture of the neighborhood that nobody cared about until people with more money started moving in. Mm -hmm. Cultural displacement is common with gentrification. Closing longtime neighborhood landmarks like historically Black churches or restaurants changes the neighborhood and the sense of belonging that people living there felt. The growing number of upper and middle income residents changes the whole landscape, including the political landscape, with new leaders ignoring longtime residents. And this leads to their further isolation. There are usually neighborhoods that businesses and governments long ago abandoned, where there's little new development, poorly resourced schools and services, and little maintenance of buildings or institutions, plenty of overgrown empty lots, Lots of trash, plenty of potholes. Especially at the start of gentrification, the land is cheap and the chance to make a profit is high as the higher wage earners move in and can afford paying higher rents. Community surveillance and police presence usually starts to increase to protect the people and new resources moving in. This is also something that leads to long-term residents losing their sense of belonging and their political involvement in the neighborhood. City governments and businesses have a lot to gain from gentrification, and unfortunately, racialized policing helps clear the way. So let's face it, gentrification is profitable. Big business used to need low-wage workers for city factories. Millions of Black Southerners headed to cities all over the United States that were recruiting them to work assembly lines in warehouses, mills, railroads, and factories. They were not treated or paid well and often lived in rundown, poorly resourced neighborhoods. Cities grew based on their labor and their communities. Their labor made America's wealthiest companies really wealthy. Eventually, the factories moved overseas for even cheaper labor with even fewer protections. In other words, more profit. The main sources of employment 
became the low wages in stores, restaurants, and hotels in cities. There were fewer of these jobs than there were of the factory jobs, and when the factories closed, more poverty was created. There are even fewer jobs today than there were then in terms of jobs where you can actually earn a decent living. Right. Wealth today comes from tech and finance companies that have replaced old industries and jobs. So there's a smaller percentage of higher paid skilled workers. These are some of the workers that cities compete for and who gentrify city neighborhoods as they move in. And as they move in, they replace existing residents, working class people, especially those of color, along with the elderly and people with disabilities, try to hold on to their neighborhoods, their homes and their lives as the land values and housing prices increase and it becomes less affordable for these long term residents. Most of the well paid are white, while those being displaced are mostly people of color who typically have less income for housing. The good part about gentrification is that the neighborhood becomes revitalized with new places to shop and eat and more resources for health and well-being. It does get cleaned up. Sure. Gentrification in the short term brings racial integration, and some neighborhoods that become racially diverse through gentrification remain racially diverse past the initial gentrification period. I really wish that were typical, Cindy but I don't think it is. Gentrification can lower poverty. It can bring more opportunity. It's true. Studies found that public housing residents in gentrifying neighborhoods are exposed to less violent crime and they're more often employed. They have higher incomes and educational attainment than their counterparts that continue to live in low income neighborhoods that are not being gentrified. But although gentrification can bring racial diversity, neighborhood improvements and more services, one of the most important issues is protecting tenants from displacement. That's the most common problem associated with gentrification. Definitely. Preserving subsidized housing and gentrifying neighborhoods can ensure income and racial diversity remain in a neighborhood over time. But the people moving in want brand new homes. And the residents are often forced out because of rent increases or building renovations. Housing for low-income residents is limited, so they're excluded from living in certain places, and the usual supports and services that they've relied on become unrecognizable and maybe inaccessible to them. Right. Like we said, there can be benefits to gentrification, but only when long-term residents are not pushed out. There are a lot of disadvantages to those who are pushed or moved from their home. Often, they have nowhere to go. All around them, houses are being torn down, sometimes entire blocks of homes, and they're being replaced with state-of-the-art, high-priced houses that these people could not possibly afford to move into. The thing is, we can redevelop and revitalize neighborhoods without the negative effects of gentrifying them by using a model of community building that benefits all residents, those that have been there for a long time and others moving in. Different groups can live together, or at least coexist in the same neighborhood in a healthy community that values everyone equitably and respects others' community and culture. Which would be as good as it can get. This is so much more than economics. It's a really complicated thing. Of course, it's hard to prevent some of the displacement that often goes along with gentrification, but there are a lot of tools that can help. Yeah, one of the biggest problems with gentrification is land. 
Developers and investors buy land when it's affordable in struggling neighborhoods. They just snap it up. And then they wait for the right moment to move forward with profitable development. Community land trusts are nonprofits that own land on behalf of the community and make sure it stays affordable. It doesn't sell the land to developers. The land trust holds onto it and uses it only to benefit the community. Rent control policies are another tool that offer protection from unreasonable rent increases. They also provide rights for renewing the lease and they set limits on security deposits. Some of these policies prevent rents from jumping too high too fast, which helps residents stay in their apartments. Rent control policies have to be carefully implemented with maintenance standards to avoid things like helping the wealthy people but not the low-income people first. People do all sorts of things for profit unless there's an enforceable building standard code. Landlords and developers often try to argue that because of the rent control policies, they can't fix stuff properly and they let the housing deteriorate and they do it on purpose. One loophole that works against residents on this is that landlords can remove apartments from rent control when a renter leaves the apartment and then they can make substantial improvements to justify raising the rent. So this loophole has led landlords to purposely try to get their renters to leave, not fixing anything is one way, and also by harassing or directly even scaring them, and then they remove their property from rent control. This makes less housing available for people who need more accessible options. Yeah, like I said, they don't have a place to go. Mm. Developers also have to be held accountable to ensure any plans they make regarding gentrification have community interests at heart and they usually do not. There are other things that can be done to help minimize the harm of gentrification by minimizing displacement and ensuring an income mix in gentrifying neighborhoods. For example, like banning what's called source of income discrimination, in which landlords refuse to accept rent with a voucher or social security income. Experts and activists in housing have a lot of tools at their disposal to work on this issue. And it's really necessary and important. It is. People at the lowest income levels face a national shortage of affordable, accessible rental units, and only one in four who are eligible are receiving the assistance they need. A lot of publicly subsidized rental homes have a period in years at which they're allowed to convert to market rate without subsidy, which suddenly leaves people who are renting there without a home. And I just want to say not having a home is one of the worst things that can happen to somebody. Their entire quality of life disappears and they are in a crisis. And we have tons of that happening in this country at the moment. But fortunately, a lot of states have extended affordability requirements, including our state of Pennsylvania, of up to 50 years. Vermont has permanent because states can obviously require housing subsidized by the state to be permanently affordable to lower income people. This helps low income residents stay in their neighborhoods. I don't know why it's only Vermont that makes it permanent. It should just be permanent everywhere. Hard to understand. And on the opposite end, Trump's famous tax cut law of 2017, benefiting the wealthy, created what they call opportunity zones, which includes 8,700 zip codes 
that contain neighborhoods with a strong need for investment. In other words, they're run down. And those who invest get significant tax benefits. Investing in struggling neighborhoods sounds like a great thing. But the law, the Trump law, is not geared to help long-term residents in gentrifying neighborhoods. Investors get a big tax benefit when they build things there, like luxury hotels, luxury condos, luxury corporate offices, as long as they build it in the opportunity zone. What's really needed are investments that focus on protecting low-income residents from displacement and supporting the community in a way that benefits long-term residents. But that's not how to make the big bucks. Exactly. So advocates are pushing to decommodify housing and treat it as a human right, which I think it is. It is. In other words, to take it off the market as something that can be bought and sold for a profit instead of investment opportunities for property developers or the wealthy homes should be safe shelters for people to live affordably and build their lives. There's a lot to learn and you can start at urban.org. The Urban Institute is a nonprofit research organization that gives information and evidence to help advance upward mobility and equity for everyone. Housing justice is among many of the issues of equity that they address. Check it out. Thanks for joining us. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Till next time. Take care.